So, end of day two. Getting there, getting there. I know it's hard at the beginning. Trust us, especially you new people, that it does get easier as the momentum builds. Yeah. So tonight I wanted to um, offer some reflections, kind of an extension of what Dave offered us last night, a different way of looking at this topic of wise view, sort of moving into the... um, Moving into the, the, the various aspects of practicing with and investigating our experience using our mindfulness practice. As Dave discussed last night, uh, this, this path of practice, it both depends on and it results in very big sometimes shifts in perspectives, shifts in perspectives that we call view or shifting from unwise view to wise view, wrong view to right view. It's basically how we're viewing and relating to experience. This is what we are bringing into our conscious awareness, working with, um, and that is being revised through our practice of information gathering, direct information gathering, as I mentioned this morning. So it's this shift of perspective that is key, sort of central to the path. There are some very key shifts of perspective. And the Buddha, in his teachings, he used a lot of metaphors and similes, really imaginative metaphors and similes, to encourage the listener who he was teaching to, to to see things from a different perspective. That is the function of a metaphor or a simile, a comparison is to see something from a different angle than might you might normally see it. Hi, way over there. <laughs> you guys are way all in the corner. So, for example, um, you know, he's, he's, he's looking to reframe experience and reinterpret experience for people through the lens of the Dharma, the Buddha Dharma that he uh, taught. For example, he compared metta, the um, heart quality of metta that Dave was teaching about today, um, to the love of a mother for her child, her only child. And that is the quality of loving kindness that he encouraged us to rouse. So he was comparing this metta to something we could all relate to, how a a mother loves her child unconditionally. He compared dhamma, the dhamma or the dhamma teachings, he called them the good medicine, good medicine to cure the dis-ease of suffering, to cure the the problem of suffering, we have the medicine of the Dhamma. He often referred to the Dhamma as medicine for the illness of suffering. Dave mentioned one last night that's one of my my faves. 
which is the translation, the literal use of the word dukkha, which is how the Buddha, the word the Buddha coined to describe all kinds of dissatisfaction, difficulty, and suffering. Dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A, dukkha, and that word in Pali, it was a, it was never used to describe that. It was used in his time to describe something being off kilter, like, as Dave mentioned last night, a a wheel of a wagon being off axis. And so if your wagon wheel is off axis, you're in for a bumpy ride in life, as he said. So, or, or dislocation of a shoulder or a joint or something. That's what Dukkha described. And the Buddha took that word and used it to describe our suffering and difficulty in life. And I love that he used that metaphor because it it implies within it that this can be fixed. Similar to the medicine thing, this situation, this problem of dukkha, of suffering, of dissatisfaction can be fixed. And it can be fixed by viewing things correctly, (laughs) completely. He He compared the wise effort that we apply in our spiritual practice to tuning the strings of a lute. Not too tight, not too loose. Just right. (laughs) So that the music plays well and harmoniously. Right? (coughs) So he's got all kinds of these wonderful comparisons that really bring the picture to life in your mind and heart about what he's talking to, about what he's pointing to, using comparing with things from our our direct experience. And I think that if the Buddha lived today, he would jump right on this metaphor that I'm going to use and I'm going to kind of pound into the ground tonight in this talk, which is the simile of the movie. The simile of the movie, uh, this is another way of, I sometimes call this the simile of the movie or letting go of the drama of self. Or, this is a talk on clinging, letting go, investigation. And I think that if the Buddha lived today, he would take this experience that we all have of going to the movies, and he would use it as a point of comparison for some of his teachings. I bet he would. Anyway, I'm going to do that tonight. I'm going to develop the simile of the movie for a while, and we'll see how far I can go with it. In the beginning classes I teach, um, this is really, I use this comparison uh, to, to really give people the, the, uh, the sort of sense memory or recognition of what I mean when I'm talking about mindfulness, being aware of what's happening when it's happening. And distinguishing that from how we are used to living our lives, which is fairly unaware of what's happening when it's happening, fairly caught up in whatever it is that our minds are doing, whatever stories they're telling or, you know, uh, opinions they're opinionating or um, futures they're imagining or whatever, right? We're usually caught up in all that, the plans, the, you know, the past, the future. So I compare it to, to how it is when we go to a movie theater and we see a movie. And we're sitting in the movies and uh, we basically get caught up in the 
story on screen. We love that. We love to go to a movie and just get swept up in it, right? And we forget totally that we're in a movie theater. When we really really get caught up, the experts call it being transported. There's even a thing called transportation theory, which is the sort of research around what happens to us when we get carried away by story, by narrative. What happens to our brains and... It turns out that when we do get carried away in stories, we are more susceptible to whatever is happening up there, whatever information is being uh, uh, provided in the story, and and especially we're very susceptible to the emotions that are that the story is 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 generating, that the characters in the story we feel with the characters in the story, and so on. Um, we, when we're caught up in a story, we're swept up, we are sort of at its mercy, and it kind of manipulates us, you know? And that's why we like going to movies. But let's say we're at a movie theater, and we're caught up in the movie, and then it's a comedy, let's say, and there's like a big laugh in the audience. We might just suddenly wake up and go, oh, <laughs> you know, I'm in a movie theater. I'm watching a movie. A minute ago, I was really just swept up in it. And now, oh yeah, there's all these people around. I'm in a movie. And look, oh my God, I just ate that whole thing of popcorn without <laughs> noticing. Wow. We become aware again. We make that shift to being aware of what's happening, when it's happening, what's going on. And people get that. They're like, oh yeah, I get it. I'm caught up in the movies of my mind, the mental movies and stories, and they're really high stakes. I mean, if we think we get caught up in and engaged in the stories of the hero, you know, up on screen, what if we're the main character? What if it's our lives that are being playing out on the screen? That's going to be really compelling, right? So that's kind of how I view... One of the ways we can view our minds is like, not, we're not making these stories happen. How many movies have you seen unspooling in your experience so far at this retreat? Dozens and dozens, right? Some of them are old, familiar classics <laughs> that you have seen many times. Sometimes your mind is like a revival house showing those old chestnuts. Again and again. And sometimes, I told you I was going to milk it. And and sometimes they're like fresh, they're brand new. They're sort of a new way of um, configuring old old, um, stuff. Do you know, like the movie, the, the... the movie told today uses the same classic storytelling techniques as every sort of commercial movie ever done, but it does it slightly uniquely. It puts the pieces together in a slightly unique way, and so it's sort of fresh, you know. So you might have had a few fresh ones. Yeah, I mean, it's this... So what we're doing here is over and over again remembering to wake up from these captivating movies and to come back to, oh, I'm sitting in a movie theater, I'm, I'm, I'm living my life, <laughs> I'm walking right now, 
I'm eating right now. I'm sitting on a cushion right now. I'm listening to Cheryl's talk about the movie, simile of the movie right now. We just keep waking up to what's actually happening over and over again. Um, And in this is how we get to know what it means to be mindful and then the benefits and the power of mindfulness. Because we... In this practice, it's like we're discovering and learning as we go why we would ever want to give up the enchantment of the movies. They're super compelling. We have the habit of being lost in them. It's not our fault. It's just sort of how, the, how we are conditioned. We never really knew before we came to this practice that there's another way of working with our minds and these movies. But we are also getting something out of it, being caught up in them. And so we're starting to see some of that. It's like we're starting to recognize the movie as a movie, the mental stuff as the stories we tell ourselves. From this perspective, we can start to see whether or not they are true or complete or helpful or harmful whether they're worth believing in. The Buddha called this this shift, what happens when we are lost in and captivated by the movies, enchantment. Enchantment. We are lost in, enchanted by, captivated by. These are all different words for what he called clinging, upadana, clinging identification. We're really identified with the characters up on screen, with the, with the mental characters in our minds, me, myself, I, my family, my, the people I love, my, my stuff. We identify with those thoughts, temporary. The Buddha compared thoughts and, and mental ideas at like foam, like foam in a river. It's just they're so effervescent and temporary, and yet we reify them. We believe in them. And the Buddha called this clinging, and he pointed right there, and he said, that's suffering. That is the definition of suffering. All suffering is some sort of enchantment with experience or sense experience and including the, the mind content, the stories we tell ourselves, the movies. So that, like, bears looking at. Is that true for us? Is being caught up in the movie suffering, stressful? Is letting go of being caught up in the movie? Because that was his instruction, what we should do about clinging. Let it go. Is letting go of being enchanted and coming back to the here and now freedom? More easeful? We're undertaking this observation and experiment. We're looking to see if what the Buddha said was true. That's what our spiritual path is all about. He said, come and see for yourself if enchantment is suffering. So I can say and report, we've all woken up hundreds of times probably from being lost, being enchanted during this retreat so far, right? As I've watched myself wake up over the years of practice, there has never been a time when I didn't wake up from 
being caught up in the movie to seeing stress in my body and mind. I wake up, and this is it. I hope I said this this morning. If not, I'm going to say it now. Waking, the moment of waking up is a really beautiful place to practice and learn. What was it just like for you having been lost in thought? You're going to see the residue of what that movie, the effect of that movie on your body and mind. And so every time I've woken up from a movie and I've looked, I've seen this. Can you see me? (laughs) I'm exaggerating, but I've seen stress. I've seen tension. There's tension in my head and my face from the thinking. Even if it's a pleasant, even if it's a fantasy, I'm going, "Mm," you know, I'm, I'm in it, I'm clutched, there's tension in my body. And let's say the movie was not pleasant. Let's say I was in a horror movie. Then there's all, you know, there's all these emotions that kicked up, get kicked up by movies, right? And we, those, we're feeling those, and we suddenly become aware of those. So in the moment that you wake up from being lost in the movies, what's going on? Do a mindful snapshot. See what's happening here. Sometimes you can see not only the effect that the movie had, but in that moment of that space and moment of awareness where you're watching yourself having woken up, lost in thought, here's what's happening in my body and mind, you might start to see the pull, the tug of the movie trying to, wanting to capture you back. You want to keep thinking about that thing. You want to keep planning that remodel. You want to keep thinking about the big problem that you really must solve when you get home. You want to keep going on that lust fantasy. Oh, was that great. You know? You can feel the tug, the pull of the movie, the marquee. Come and see this hit movie. That's craving. That pull, that tug, you can see it, you can feel it in your body. The compulsion to go back, be enchanted again. So in that moment, you might be able to see that. You might be able to recognize craving. The Buddha said, and you might also be able to see farther down here, the Buddha said that underneath this upadana, the engine of it, is craving. This is the second noble truth. This need, thirst, uh, the kind of desire that if we feel like if we don't get it, whatever it is we're desiring, we won't be okay. That kind of compelling desire, need, that's craving. And that little engine is often driving our movies. It's like the engine behind our movies. In fact, I'm going to return to my metaphor for a moment. See, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. So this is why this, this metaphor works for me, because I, I, I've written scripts, a lot of scripts, and I'm, and I'm a writer, and I'm a you know, fiction writer too. And what we are taught as writers and what we practice is that the engine of every narrative is conflict, a thing called conflict. And what conflict is, is not, you know, people in conflict with each other necessarily. What it is, in storytelling terms, is when the main character wants something and they can't get it. There are obstacles. So in your story, you place obstacles in the path of the character getting their thing, and that's what builds the tension and drives the forward momentum of the narrative. Think about it. Every story, especially the mainstream stories you've ever seen or read or watched, they have this basic form of the the character wanting to save the world. (laughs) And there's all these obstacles in the way. And it's this building tension of the action movie. It's like, 
will he save the world? Will he save the world? Will he get the bad guy? Okay, <laughs> you know, of course we know he will, but it's like that's what the that's what the narrative runs on, right? That's us too. That actually applies to our inner lives. We craving is is like um, this this wanting. We want we as main characters of our lives want stuff. Some of those things are wholesome needs. Craving are the things that are not so wholesome. And what is unwholesome is really it's not the craving itself. It's the when we are lost in the strategies, the plans, the schemes, the, you know, forgetting that thing. When we are obsessing and we can't stop thinking about the movie of getting that thing that we want. The clinging is the problem. The upadana, the being lost in the enchantment the obsession. The craving is just the engine of it. And so as we become aware, when we wake up from the movie, we can become aware of the craving, the engine of need or want underneath it, and we can sink down as we pull our attention back from the object that we're desiring, that is, from being lost in the movie where we're getting it or trying to get it or getting away from it, because craving is also, it's wanting things and it's not wanting things. So as we pull back, we sink our awareness down into our body, body and we can ask, what is really being wanted here? What is really being wanted? When I wake up from the object of the fantasy or the plan or the memory, the movie, and I pull my attention in here, and I say, what's going on here? What can I see? We might get a glimpse, and I'm pointing to my body, because this is where I look, of our deeper needs, our, our usually authentic human needs down in here. And when we see that, what's really being wanted, we can um, try to meet that need wholesomely. I'm going to give a couple of examples. And, you know, just to continue on with that, when we, when we meet the need, the underlying need that is sort of driving this engine of craving and the movies of our minds, um, that allows us to let go of the enchantment. The Buddha called letting go of enchantment disenchantment. Let, and it's precursors freedom. Disenchantment. Freedom, awakening is always precursed by disenchantment, becoming disenchanted with these movies of the mind and stopping being run by this engine of craving underneath. So one that way that we can stop that, that we can let go, that we can unhook from that, is to, to be friendly and compassionate towards these underlying engines of need, and see what's being wanted, and see if there's some way we can meet those needs. I'll give an example of... um, Not too long ago, I was in a public library, and as I was sitting there doing some computer work or something, there was a man up at the front desk who was starting to speak very loudly and complaining about... Um, the fines on his books. 
he brought back some books, and there were he did, you know they were way overdue apparently, and there were fairly big fines on his books, and he was complaining more and more loudly, saying, you know, in pretty spicy language, really loud in the library with kids in it and everything. It's like, what? How can they charge this much money? I don't have this money. How can you try? It, it didn't used to be this much money. What are you, you know, you, I can't pay this. What, I can't, you know, and it, he was escalating and escalating in his complaints. And it was really interesting to me to hear that and to hear his distress and to recognize that what was driving it up was that the librarian was meeting him with resistance. She would say, well, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. Those are the rules, and this is how much it is, and I don't make the rules, and you have to pay it. You've got to pay it now. You know, she was just kept meeting him with this hardness and resistance. And as she did, that was those obstacles. The, the tension was built, the stress was building, and he was getting louder and louder and angrier and angrier. So then another librarian came up. And started talking to him, and I couldn't really hear what she was saying, a little bit snippets here and there, because she was speaking in a quiet voice, what sounded like a calm voice, and a rather compassionate voice. And she was clearly being understanding to him, and saying, I heard her say something like, tell me what's happening. Tell me what your problem is. Let me hear you. What's going on? And he immediately went down, like ten notches because she met him with compassion. She met his need. He needed to be heard. And she met that need wholesomely. And the whole thing ended with him just paying the fine. He just paid the fine. He dropped his movie. He was caught up in the movie of his injustice. Because it was all political. It's like, I don't know what they're doing, and the politicians are making our lives hell, and this and that. You know, he was off on this movie. (laughs) of, you know, bad corporate players or whatever running the library. (laughs) The evil corporate empire. And as soon as she... But the underlying need was he needed to be heard, and she met that need, and it completely unplugged the engine of craving and the movie, and and it stopped. So we can actually practice that with ourselves. Once we do this first step, which is recognize the movie as a movie. Recognize it as a movie. We wake up, it's like, oh, there was that movie. There was that old familiar movie, or that was a new one, but I was lost in it. And that was pretty compelling, but we do what the Buddha called renunciation. (laughs) Renunciation. We practice letting go of the enchantment And we do that in order to see the engine underneath. Of course, we do that because it's painful. The movies are painful. You know, sometimes I used to think that this is where this metaphor broke down. People would say to me, why would I want... I've jumped ahead. Reeling it back, I have to to explore something before I go there. Okay, I have to explore something. So here's what we're doing. We're, we're waking up from the movie of the mind and we are choosing to do what Saida Utejaniya called, he said, practicing with, practicing with experience rather than being enchanted by experience. 
He said, no matter what's happening to you, no matter what moment of any day, wherever you find yourself, you have two choices. You can either believe in it, whatever's happening, or you can practice with it. And practice with needs to be unpacked because there's a lot of ways that we can practice with experience. But he basically means to practice the Eightfold Path, to practice wise mindfulness with experience instead of being caught up and enchanted by it. And this is the route to freedom. This is the middle way the Buddha said. We neither indulge in, get caught up and enchanted by the movies, nor do we avoid. Because sometimes we think the only antidote to being subject to the whims of our endless movie making is to figure out how to stop thinking. There must be some way to stop this movie-making machine. What if there isn't? What if that's what it does? What if it's a thinking machine that we're living with? Then what? The middle way. We neither indulge in nor avoid. We practice with. We practice with. The first step of practicing with is becoming aware of what's happening. Oh, just wake up from a movie. Recognize the movie as a movie. Allow that the movie is happening. Be friendly with it. It's like, okay, that's a pretty compelling movie, and that's what's happening right now. We can, practicing with also means, this helps us, the allowing helps us to see more clearly what the movie is made of, what it is, what it's constructed of. And this is, my metaphor really fits. As a filmmaker, um, I can watch a movie in two ways. Having put together and made a bunch of movies, I can go to a movie and I can either be caught up in it, caught up in the story and just go with it, or I can do a little shift of perspective that comes from my education and training in making movies that I can look at the movie and see how it's made. How did the filmmakers put this together so that it creates the effect that it does, the emotional affect? How do they do that? Well, I can start to see where the cuts are, the edits. And each edit is a different shot where they had a camera in a different location and they're shooting the scene from a different angle. I could start to see what's in the frame, what they chose to include in the frame and exclude, what, how they're lighting it, um, the objects in the setting. I can look at the people, and instead of seeing them as people to identify with them, I see as actors speaking a script, and I can see through the actors to the script and to the mind of the writer and what the writer was intending. You know, all of these things, we can start to deconstruct the movie then we can do that with our, the movies of our minds and emotions and the experience that we're enchanted by when we allow it for the purposes of what the Buddha called investigation. Dhamma vichaya. Discrimination of states. Mindful observation. It's not investigation the way we normally think of it, which is to analyze analysis. It's not analytical investigation. It's direct observational. Like what we've been talking about all along. We observe and let 
the experience reveal itself. Let the experience deconstruct itself. Deconstruct itself. We look and we, we can sort of see the component parts of this movie. And what I described with working with pulling back the attention from the object that we're you know, thinking about or movie, making the movie about to going down in the body, seeing craving, seeing what's underneath it, that is a form of this deconstruction. It can reveal to us you know, things that are really useful that we can use to um, let go of, let go of these, the craving and the clinging, the suffering. So that's an example of deconstruction. Um, one I gave this morning was we can deconstruct emotions into their component parts. Um, we can start to see how they... And we can start to see things like what we were talking about this morning, hearing the voice of the mind, hearing the, the tone of voice that we're talking to ourselves with, and starting to know, notice all these details that are together making the compelling, compelling effect and emotional response that we're having. I hope that makes sense. Let me see if I can find another example. Dhamma Vichaya. How is this movie made? One of the things that we can discern in this observation, is whether this movie in, is helpful or harmful. Helpful or harmful. As soon as we start recognizing the movie as a movie, we can sense that. We can start to discern that, right? It's like, oh, should I really be going along on this trip? Should I really be getting caught up in this particular movie? We can start to see and discern whether the... Somebody talked about the dialogue and the images of the movie, the talking, and we can deconstruct those and see, are these... Is the, is, are the thoughts telling the truth? Are they uh, based on incorrect assumptions? Are they worth believing in? So are they helpful or harmful to be enchanted by or go with or believe in or be compelled by or follow? That's one thing we can discern that's helpful. And then in letting go, right? And then looking to see whether they are incorrect, incomplete, describing reality wrongly. I have so many examples of this. Which one should I give? Some of the stories are really old, the movies. So let me let me give as an example the old the old chestnut of um, self hatred, self criticism, the movie of I I'm not doing it right, I'm doing it wrong, I never do anything right. This moment is wrong. There's something wrong with it. There's something wrong with me. I, in my early days of practice, found myself in that self-judgment, self-critical judgment mode a lot, that movie, and it was very, very painful. And uh, I, over the years, of course, what I noticed is that it's not helpful to be lost in that movie. It's not helpful. It's harmful. It's painful. And yet, it still kept playing. 
because it's old and it's got a deep rut in the mind. And so it just keeps coming around, right? (coughs) So I'm noticing, I'm practicing with it as best I can, noticing its qualities, you know, noticing that it's painful, noticing the emotions, doing my best to, to let it go or whatever comes back again and again. One time, one day, one retreat, I actually turned toward, recognized that I'm talking to myself in this critical voice. And I listened to it without judgment, openly, with curiosity. It's like, oh, there's that. What is this? Let me hear it. Let me hear how it's talking to me. And clear as a bell, it was my mother's voice. It was her voice. Now, this may sound stupid and trite, but when you see something like that, you know, it's something that you may have talked about in therapy with your therapist. Yeah, I know it's my mother's voice, but it's something about when that is revealed to you in the space of concentrated awareness. It's like this undeniable experiential aha moment. Oh, and all of this cascading insight comes from, from a detail like that. It's like, oh gosh, wisdom steps up and says, "You've been, you know, you don't need this." You're, at that time, my mom was in the last phases of dementia, you know, leading to her. She was dying, and I was caring for her, and we had a completely different relationship. And yet, I was still berating myself with her voice from my childhood. It just became so clear that it was unnecessary, inapplicable, painful, unnecessary. You know, did I say that one already? <laughs> it was causing harm, and it was not even helping in any way. And there was something about seeing that in this space of awareness, that it just, the insight unhooked. I think I mentioned that this morning, that within each insight of clear seeing, it just, the unhooking, the letting go is right there. The voice stopped, and really ever since then, the self-criticism, not that it's gone completely away, but it's so much quieter. Where it was like a the, it was one of the main attractions in this movie theater. But practicing with it, getting that detail about it freed me. Seeing clearly that it was not, was not helping. So we can notice as we're practicing with the movie and waking up from the movie, um, we can notice the effect of believing in it, the outcomes of acting from that place. And as we learn, are learning to let go, we can also feel the um, relief and the ease of presence of what Rodney Smith, one of my teachers, he called, we were moving in this practice from thinking to presence. And I amend that by saying we're moving from enchantment in thinking, clinging to thinking, to presence. Presence means that we are present time aware of what's happening with equanimous mind, with metta in the heart. And um, as we see the trap and the danger, 
and the difficulties that are kicked up by being caught up in the movies, we will just, and through our practice of diligently letting go, we find ourselves dropped in to these states of relative peace, relative ease, relative freedom that we can call presence. And experientially, the comparison is like, you know, where would I rather be? Where would I rather be? We sort of develop the taste for and and the wholesome desire for more moments of presence of and, and when we're present also the qualities of heart come through effortlessly until we get to experience that we get to experience metta love I think I may have already mentioned that my very first <coughs> retreat uh, nine day retreat that like some of you are on your very first retreat at the beginning I was completely tortured and, and suffering because I was caught up in the movies such as the movie of self-hatred, the movie of self-judgment that was also applied to everyone I saw. And it was so painful to be aware of the movie and its effect on me. But through the diligent, you know, easeful application of mindfulness that my teachers helped me through just day after day, by the end, I couldn't have been in a more different place. I was just filled with love for everyone and everything, the same people that I hated or judged on day one. What's up with that? What is up with that? That is just what happens when we keep disenchanting, keep letting go of the enchantment of our beliefs, our views, our opinions, and these old movies that we're running. The heart comes into that space. You know, that's always been waiting, you know, because we're not lost in the illusion of the flickering thoughts. So practice then, finally, practicing with means letting go of the movies, finding our way towards disenchantment. Partly that means discovering the benefits of disenchantment. Why, and this is where I'm circling back around to where I said, hold on, hold that thought, let me pause. Circling back around to why would I want to to disenchant, be disenchanted from these movies, these some of which are quite entertaining. When I use the simile of the movie, people often ask me that. It's like, but why would I want to shift from being caught up in the story, which is really fun, to being aware of how the story is constructed? Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to practice with the movies? And I used to think that this was where the metaphor broke down, but it's not really. It's pointing to... It's pointing to um, what the Buddha called the um, gratification, the danger, and the escape. He admitted that there was gratification in being caught up in these mental worlds. He admitted to it. It's like it, it's, there's, there's a reason why we go there. It's, it's, it's uh, these movies, you know, especially the old ones, they have served some need. They may be helping us to avoid, you know, being with a difficult present or whatever. Um, They may be entertainment, 
or stimulation for us, getting us out of an experience of boredom. They may be, the engine underneath may be something like the craving, what the Buddha called the craving of existence or becoming. We are imagining our future selves. We're imagining our future lives where we want to be, not here. In the future, I'll have everything I want. And then we get caught up in the movie of, of creating or, or fantasizing about that imaginary future. And so there's, there is gratification in that to a certain degree. There is some pleasure to be had. And certainly until we know that there's another way, we don't know how else to deal with our pain other than to escape into the movies of our minds sometimes. We don't know another way. But the Buddha said that there's a danger in this. The more that we follow, that we run there, that we get lost, that we get enchanted, the more we are reinforcing those patterns of indulgence and the harder it is to wake up from them. They're also dangerous because they actually don't ever provide, as Dave mentioned, I think, last night, they don't really ever satisfy. They don't really ever completely give us what we want. I have a story of this, about this. But there, there's a danger there. And, um, but he also said there's an escape from this. And so I'm going to explore that with this last story I'm going to tell about one of my another one of my big movies, which is um, the habit of um, fantasy, of future fantasy. You know, how many folks here are future thinker planners? Have you been waking up from the future planning quite a lot here? Yeah, so that's me too. Love to think about the future, sometimes concretely, sometimes ridiculously, like I'm packing my toothbrush for the vacation I probably will never take (laughs) kind of fantasy for planning. And then fantasy of like imagining myself in these idealized futures, imaginary futures. It's a little bit embarrassing to admit to this, but at every retreat, I I mean, it was a strategy of me uh, that I had ever since childhood to escape into fantasy, which is why I became a writer, of course. This is how I escaped my difficult family life. I'd go off and do that. And that habit carried with me into starting to meditate and practice and be at retreats where I would, walk, I would be lost in fantasy for big chunks of sits, if not whole sits. There would always be at least one full hour or more that I would be lost in the fantasy. I would be, I would be um, writing my Academy Award acceptance speech. And I would be fantasizing, getting the Academy Award. And I would just be in it. Because I was a filmmaker. This is what I fantasized for my future, right? And there was something really compelling about that future fantasy, that, that future self that had everything that I imagined would make her happy, you know, the, the adoration of the world. I'd like to thank, and I would write and rewrite this damn speech for a movie I hadn't even made, right? But there was this amazing movie that I'd made. 
I hope you guys can identify with this <laughs> silly kind of, otherwise I feel really embarrassed <laughs> that I'm the only one concocting these kinds of movies. Okay, but so it was like, um, after, I, I would feel so guilty and bad about it, like I'm not being mindful. And um, I would feel kind of dirty about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> not only the context within which I'm doing it and that I'm indulging in this thing I'm not supposed to be doing, but also that it was just so silly and so self-aggrandizing and so ridiculous, you know. Um, but I still kept doing it, and I was getting some kind of gratification. So it's like part of the practicing with is we need to see what we're getting out of this habit, this old movie running over and over. We need to see what is the gratification? Why am I doing this? Why am I wanting to be enchanted in this way? Let me look and see. And in order to do that, sometimes we have to let it run. We just have to let it run. And in letting it run, we really start to feel the dukkha of these movies, the unsatisfactory nature no matter how many goddamn movies about getting the Academy Award, I ran it in my mind in fantasy. That wasn't going to help me today, right now, right here, be happy. In fact, it was going to, it totally would backfire because I'd be comparing my right here, right now life where I couldn't get a feature film made with this fantastic imagined future. I would be constantly comparing myself negatively to that and like leaning into it, leaning into it, craving into this. What was basically amounted to nothing but a bunch of thoughts. Talking, dialogue, and images. And uh, it was causing me unnecessary pain. And so the pleasure or gratification that I got out of it was totally not worth it. And it was completely unsatisfactory completely dukkha. And so there came a point where I woke up from being lost in that type of fantasy in the moment of awakeness, saw, in the moment of mindfulness, saw the craving come and the habit, the compulsion start to move again to go back into it. And having been with and felt the dissatisfaction and the ickiness of that fantasy many, many times, Something happened, and I was able to observe wisdom, or call it compassion, if you will, come up and stop it. Say, no. Let go. It just let go. It, dis- it got disenchanted. I got disenchanted by that habit and that storytelling. I became disenchanted, and it was no longer compelling. The mind let, let go. And I went and I chose instead to practice mindfulness, (laughs) what I was there to do, right? To be present. I went and I reported this experience to my teacher, Steve Armstrong, who said to me, that is wisdom. I didn't know what it was at the time. I didn't know what wisdom was. I didn't know how to point to wisdom or point to an experience as being wisdom. He said, that is wisdom. What just happened, that letting go, that dis- seeing the dis- dukkha and letting go and being disenchanted, that's wisdom. Taking care of you. Compassion, saying, I'm not going to put you through this anymore. <laughs> I'm done. And you know, what's really interesting is like, it doesn't mean that we're never going to have fantasies again, but 
up until that point, it had really been a major theme of my mental life. I'd go on a long drive, I'd be all lost in fantasy. I'd sit retreat, I'd be lost in fantasy. After that, no more fantasy. It just isn't, it doesn't happen anymore. And I did not do that. I did not let go of that. I did not decide to stop that pattern. The middle way, a wise mindfulness with concentration, let go, compassion, let go of feeling the pain of it, seeing the dissatisfaction of it, and realizing it was not going to give me what I truly wanted, what was really being wanted and needed, which for me is, on the spiritual path, freedom, awakening, feeling at home in the world. It's another way of me to describe awakening, feeling like I belong here. The more time I spent imagining some future where I belonged, the less I was doing the thing that was going to help me belong which was to let go of the enchantment of the movies and come back to reality here and now. And like Dave said earlier today, realizing it's okay. And in fact, there's a lot of beauty in the here and now. And to feel this, you know, it starts to awaken the heart and the feeling of joy and appreciation for all of this life expressing and we start to touch into those beautiful states of mind and heart and that is answering my need that the movie was not it was a backfiring strategy finally we see that that's what this path offers us I'm just going to end. <clears throat> With what the Buddha said about renunciation, this is this letting go. Renunciation, disenchantment is because of the joy of what we find when we let go, what we find when we stop being caught up in the movies. The Buddha said, when I first heard the teaching of re- renunciation, my heart did not leap up. <laughs> My heart did not leap up at the thought of renunciation, of giving up my movies. And But after understanding the da- danger of clinging, enchantment, my heart leapt at the chance of renunciation. So even the Buddha, his heart did not leap up. He had to learn about the danger and the backfiring strategy. I offer that to you tonight for your reflection. Thank you for your kind attention. Let's just sit quietly for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.